In the realm of Christmas carols, We Three Kings is ingrained in America's tradition. Created by John Henry Hopkins Jr., an Episcopal minister, this hymn was the first widely embraced American Christmas carol. Hopkins, a man of diverse talents, composes lyrics and music in 1857. His creation tells the story of the Magi, adding a touch of wonder and reverence to the Christmas experience. Beyond its historical origins, We Three Kings carries a profound message, one that goes beyond borders and echoes through time. The Magi, guided by a bright light, put aside their differences and journeyed together to welcome the newborn king. The mention of three kings corresponds to the three gifts in the scripture, gold, frankincense, and mirror. These travelers covered hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles to reach Jesus. Just as the wise men found common purpose despite of the differences, the Christmas story highlights how Jesus can turn adversaries into allies, finding hope through their belief in him. As we sing the notes of We Three Kings, let it be a melody of unity, a reminder that the Christmas story with universal themes of hope and redemption has the ability to bring hearts together, forming bonds that transcend earthly divisions.
that's my new favorite version of that song. It's great. Well, I want to just take a little quick survey. How many of you are loving the Christmas season? You have your tree up, you've got gifts up, you've been singing songs since November 1st. All right? Okay, several of you. Again, this is a survey. Trust your honesty. How many of you would say you're not really as into it right now? That's okay. You're not a Scrooge. You're not the Grinch. It's just too much, right? It's all around. Maybe it's just that you're not ready. It's eight days away, and it's coming all too quickly. Or maybe there's other reasons that this season is hard. Maybe it feels like everyone has plans except for you. Or maybe you've lost someone, so this Christmas feels a little bit different. Whether you're excited or annoyed by the month of December, I want to invite you into the actual story. Put aside for a moment what you think about Christmas in America or Christmas where you grew up. Forget about family, food, and football. I want you to consider what if you had been alive in that time before the first Christmas. You didn't live in Israel. You lived east of there. And you believed in God and you were searching for more of him. With that in mind, let's read from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw this child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, there are four things that I think we can apply to our lives from this story of the Magi today. First, all are welcome into God's story. Second, the journey of following God is worth it. Third, we should bring God our best. And finally, we should make room for others. So we'll look at each of these. First, all are welcome into God's story. The story of the Magi reminds us that no one is too far from God, that all are welcome. More than likely, the Magi were Babylonian astrologers, followers of Zoroastrian theology. Historically, they would have been enemies of Israel. It's important to remember that the story of God in the scriptures begins and ends with an acknowledgement of his love for all creation, that everyone 
who's ever been born or ever will be born is created in God's image. And from the very first few pages of the scripture, it says this, Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And check this out. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This wasn't a regional religion. This was a God who loves all people across the planet. And his plan was to bless one nation and through that nation, every nation would be blessed. And then at the very end of the pages of the scripture, it tells us this in Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. From the beginning to the end of the story, God's heart for the nations is evident, regardless of background. In fact, one of my favorite passages comes from the early days of the church and includes a man named Paul and his message to the philosophers and scholars of Greece. It's in Acts 17. Listen to this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they could seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He shared this at a place called Mars Hill. And he was inviting Greeks to follow the Jewish Messiah. I had a chance to go to Mars Hill, a trip of a lifetime this summer in Athens. Here's a picture of my wife and daughter there. They're standing on what's called Mars Hill, and there's a trash can right in the middle. But what I wanted you to notice is at the top is the Acropolis. And so Paul is saying that the God I come and declare does not remain stuck in temples and look at what it would have looked like in those days. It was not just a temple, the Parthenon, but there were four temples at the top of that hill. An intimidating place. And yet, he says to these philosophers, these judges, that the God I come to tell you about is actually at work in your life. In fact, what he's saying here is incredibly remarkable. He's saying that God actually gave you life at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives you the best opportunity to know him. Think about that for a moment. You were born at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives you the best opportunity to know him. And that's true of everyone on planet Earth. In spite of all the challenges that you may have had, with your biological family or the country in which you were born or the era in which you live, one day you will discover that God used all of those elements to reveal more and more of himself to you. And what's remarkable is that he is waiting for you and me. He created us for a relationship 
He does not force this relationship, but gives us the opportunity to choose. I wonder, do you have an open mind, open heart to the things of God? See, some of us come to closure too soon on our understanding of God and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives. And that can be true even if you've followed God for a long time. Maybe even consider yourself spiritually mature. Even in that place in life, it's very possible that you might assume the way God has worked is the only way he works. You might assume that your best days have already come and gone. Or maybe you're new to faith. You need to know that God has so much more for you. Or maybe you're here and you're just exploring faith. You need to know that God is inviting you into something so profound, so transformative. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. Don't come to closure too soon. Too often in life, we come to closure far too soon and miss out on things. And that can be true not just in your relationship with God. That could be true in your relationships in general. Something happens and you come to closure so quickly that you assume that person's motives. And you've got an entire template, an entire story in your mind about what must have happened only to sit down with that person and discover that was not it at all. Has that ever happened to you? See, we come to closure far too soon, too often in life. God is doing something new and wants to do something new in you and through you. Do you have an open heart? Do you have an open mind? One of my favorite books from a few years back is called Decisive, How to Make Better Choices in Life and Work. It's by two professors, two brothers named Chip and Dan Heath. And they basically discussed kind of the four enemies that keep us from making good decisions. And one of those is something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is when we come to closure and then look for the proof we want to confirm what we've already decided. We even come up with a pros and cons list, and if we want to do it, we make sure there's more pros than cons. It's just a bias that we have. A friend of mine several years ago contacted me and wanted to learn to hear God's voice. And so I was trying to understand kind of what decisions he was trying to make, trying to help him understand that God is speaking, and the problem is often we're not listening. But even before I got to that part of the conversation, he told me about how the other day he had just woken up and realized there was something he was trying to make happen that he needed to just surrender. And I asked him, I said, oh, well, that sounds like a moment you heard from God. How did you know you needed to surrender that? And he paused for a moment and thought, you know, actually, I don't think the problem is I cannot hear God. I think I just don't like what I'm hearing. <laughs> See, I think that can be true for us, that we tell God what to do and ask him to bless our plans. I wonder, what are your dreams and hopes for this next year? What are your dreams? Have you ever considered that those may not be what God has in mind for you? Are they selfish dreams or selfless dreams? See, to experience the kind of life that God is 
created us to experience, to become the person that he's created us to be. We need to actually entrust all of our hopes and dreams along with all of our mistakes and evil choices, everything, past, present, and future to God. And here's the beautiful thing. If you let go of your dreams and trusting them to God, he will actually give you dreams for your life that are far beyond what you could ever ask for or imagine. And along the way, we can learn to discern God's voice and guidance in our life. In fact, as you grow closer to God, you'll start to realize how much further you have to go. You will notice growth when you look backwards at your life, slowly but surely. When you start to follow Jesus, you actually become more like Jesus. And to be like Jesus means being willing to include others in your life. Those that might disagree, might have a different background, might make different moral choices, might come from a different socioeconomic status, maybe even those who have offended you or hurt you. I'm not talking about having unhealthy boundaries. I'm talking about extending God's love through your life, not coming to closure too soon on who you should love or exclude anyone from sharing in God's love. And second, we learn from the Magi that pursuing God and following God are worth it. I mean, the Magi teach us the incredible links it's worth going to find God. They've traveled hundreds of miles to a foreign land. They had to navigate a different culture, a different region, a different religion, different prophecies. And eventually, they found Jesus. Too often, we stop when things get hard. We hit a bump in our spiritual journey, and we want to turn back or just simply give up. But when we have an encounter with Jesus, we will discover he's worth it. He's worth the time, the energy, the sacrifice. This past year, I've really been wanting to connect with God and in new ways. I've always had a, my go-to move is reading the Bible. And I wanted to add to that more time in prayer and fasting and solitude. Now, I, I'm an extreme extrovert. And so solitude is not a go-to strength for me. My wife, on the, other tan, on the other hand, could live in solitude. I feel like sometimes I'm interrupting her solitude. But for me, I, I have to really work at this. And I found a couple quotes that were really inspiring along the way. Henry Nouwen said this, without solitude, it is impossible to have a spiritual life. So then what is solitude? One of my favorite authors, Ruth Haley Barton, describes it this way. The invitation to solitude and silence is an invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy of relationship with the one who waits just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. Isn't that a powerful thought? That God is just waiting for you on the other side of the busyness and the noise. And it's the busyness and the noise that we create. How often do we have our television on or our phone in our face or music or a podcast? We just can't seem to not have noise. Because in the silence, sometimes emotions come up we don't like. Which, by the way, when that happens, those emotions are what we take to God in that moment of solitude. See, we think that God is quiet, but in reality, we're just too distracted. 
God is waiting for us just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. Barton goes on to write, Solitude is an invitation to communication and communion with the one who is always present, even when our awareness has been dulled by distraction. It is an invitation to the adventure of spiritual transformation in the deepest places of our being, an adventure that will result in greater freedom and authenticity and surrender to God than we have yet experienced. Think about that for a moment. He's inviting you to experience more of him, more peace, more joy that translates into more peace and joy in your relationships, at work, in your home, in your neighborhood. He's inviting us into that. God wants to reveal more to you and me. But it requires us willing to pursue him and remove the distractions. James, who was another son of Mary, he's not included in the Christmas story. He came way later. He grew up not liking Jesus. He, in fact, there's a story of him and his other brothers who were resistant. They didn't like Jesus proclaiming himself as Messiah. They were embarrassed by him. Could you imagine what it must have been like growing up the younger brother of Jesus? I can only imagine Mary at least one or two times had to have been at least tempted to say, why can't you be more like your big brother Jesus, <laughs> And yet something remarkable happened. James saw his brother killed, crucified on a cross, and then saw him alive. Any doubts he had were completely changed. He saw his half-brother as the Messiah, became a leader in the church, and eventually he was one of the first to die for his faith. But before that moment, he wrote this letter to help believers who were struggling. Listen to what he writes, James chapter four. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying that if you come closer to God, God will reveal himself to you. But we need to confess, we need to repent. That means turn our hearts back to him, not letting anything in our hearts or in our world distract us from him. You will find him when you seek him. And it may not be in the way you think. Often some of the more miraculous ways that God has spoken to me is with a still, small voice. Just this past week, I was in a time of solitude, right over here in the room where we count on Sundays. No one goes there during the week. So I'm all alone, and I'm in that room, and I'm praying about this next year and asking God for what that word might be he wants me to focus on in 2024. And had a, a word that came to mind that is not a word I ever really think of I probably don't even know how to spell. It's the word discipline. <laughs> and, and I thought about it and, and thought, well, that's interesting. I'll think about it. And it will, you know, maybe, maybe that was just a weird thought. Maybe that was from God. And I had eight different books to choose from, to read. And I felt compelled to choose one called Spiritual Leadership, which felt weird because of all the books I had to read, it was maybe my least favorite one. <laughs> it's one I'm supposed to read. I had the others because I want to read them. But 
I went ahead and grabbed that book and I opened it up and the first word I saw was a subheading in a chapter that was coming up for me to read and it was the word discipline. So I folded it up through it and ran out. <laughs> no, of course not. I thought, oh my goodness, this must be God speaking and I read that chapter and it helped me so much. Sometimes God speaks in a still small voice but sometimes he speaks in miraculous way Kind of like this guy on video here. I was out hunting today. Come up on this old lake way back in the woods and I saw an eagle all the way across it. See the lake. And I said, Lord, I sure would like to get close to that eagle because sometimes I feel like you don't always hear me. But if you hear me today, let me get close. <laughs> I had a bald eagle land on my shoulder out here hunting. I don't think you can get no closer than that right there. <laughs> At all. That is both miraculous and terrifying. An amazing thing that the scriptures tell us is that when we surrender our life to God, when we ask him to lead us, to guide us, to forgive us, that Actually, his spirit comes to live within us. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that we actually have the mind of Christ. We don't hear an audible voice because he only whispers to us from within. That we have his thoughts within our thoughts. And by the way, you can tell the difference between his thoughts and your thoughts and thoughts that are dark when they are selfless when they require courage, and when they're consistent with his character. And the more familiar with you are with God through his scriptures, the more you will know his character, the more he can bring to mind words that he whispers into your heart. I want you to consider the links the Magi went to find Jesus. Hundreds of miles, cross-cultural adventure, and yet so often for us, it's hard to even open the Bible. We get so quickly distracted. See, God is waiting for you on the other side of the noise and the business. In the new year, I wanna encourage you to add these rhythms to your life if they're not already there or to keep pressing into these rhythms, spending time with God on your own. I wanna invite you to Read through the New Testament. If you don't already have a plan, you can read through the New Testament with me. Through the Bible for skeptics. You can look for it on a podcast or on my YouTube channel. Just one chapter a day, five chapters a week, and we'll go through all of the New Testament, asking God to speak to us. Or second, just come every Sunday. If you're out of town or sick, go online. Come as you are unless you have COVID, right? But come every week. There are things that God wants to say to you and things he wants to do through you when you come. And it's important to join a group, find a way to serve others with others. It's in community that we can work through some of what God is teaching us. The more we surrender our lives to him, the more we will experience his peace and presence the more we can bring more of heaven to our part of the world. And spiritual growth takes effort. And he's worth the effort. 
in our first small group here at Gateway, I'd encourage everybody in our group to use a, a website called futureme.org. And basically, we typed up our spiritual goals and set it up to where it would send us an email on the last day we were to meet. It's this mind-trippy little website. You get this email from yourself, and it's things you have written three months prior. And so one of the guys actually got his email, was so excited, he printed it out, and he brought it to the group. And he says to everybody, holding it up, everything I hoped would happen spiritually this semester happened including some things I didn't even write down. And then in that moment of excitement, a woman in our group said, well, nothing on my list happened. It was kind of like, you know, like complete momentum shift. Everybody was silent, not knowing what to say until she said one of the most insightful things I'd ever heard. I've been quoting her ever since. She said, you know what, though? The difference between you and me is you worked See, it takes effort to grow spiritually. What if in 2024 we made spiritual growth, connecting with God, a priority? And it's counterintuitive. The more you surrender to God, the more you actually become a better employer and better employee. When you love God primarily in your life, you actually become a better person, a better spouse, a better child, a better father, a better mother. So we spend so much time celebrating the birth of Jesus by giving presents to the people around us. And it's a really sweet concept. I don't know if anyone besides Jesus would say, you know what, for my birthday, I don't want you to give me anything. Just give it to everybody else. Maybe some of you are that generous. I'm not quite there yet. On my birthday, I like a little attention. And the third thing we learn from these magi is that God deserves our best. See, they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. They lavished gifts on this impoverished young family. And when we encounter Jesus for who he really is, we see that he is worthy of our absolute best. And we can come to God without withholding anything because he did not withhold anything for us. He came for us. Let me ask you, what would you give to experience peace? What would you be willing to do to experience forgiveness, a fresh start? What would you will, be willing to surrender to have wisdom in navigating the highs and lows of life? See, God offers us all of these attributes and so much more. As we read James, the half-brother of Jesus wrote, we have to turn to God, turn away from the distractions, turn away from darkness that we might find him when we search after him. See, and God is not wanting us to just give him a present. He wants far more than that. He wants us. He wants relationship, a willingness to trust and surrender our lives to him. He's not asking us to give anything less than what he gave us. And that is everything. See, we celebrate the baby Jesus because he actually grew up and loved the outcast, taught with authority, healed the sick, and ultimately gave his life dying on the cross. But he could not stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. And he's alive. And the spirit 
comes to live within all who follow him. See, Jesus is inviting us to follow him, not just once on a Sunday when we got baptized. He's inviting us to follow him fully every day. And when we do, we are amazed at how God can work in and through our lives. Many of us have chosen to trust Jesus and are learning to trust God in every area of our lives. And that's how, as a church, we've been able to do so much good over the years. It's through God's people that God's kingdom is advanced, not through force or coercion. But one of the hardest areas to trust God in is our finances. But God challenges us to trust him. And I know on this Giving Sunday, many of you came ready and give regularly. You've experienced the joy as I have over the years of giving at least 10% to God through the church. Which by the way, when you give a percentage of your income to God, that means you have to live on less. And it's an incredible blessing to do so. We don't give so that we can get. We give because we trust. And that enables us to separate that love of money, that fear of money, that those anxiety about money that distracts us. We begin to learn, like Jesus said in Luke 6, the more you give, the more God will entrust back to you. In the measure you will give, it will be given to you. When we trust God, he entrusts more to us. I'm not talking financially, I'm talking spiritually. And by the way, if you're not yet there, maybe weren't prepared for that today, that's absolutely okay. You can still give even to this fund through the end of this year. But I want to encourage you in this new year to consider reprioritizing. Don't let anything be a distraction. Don't let anything cause you to get out of alignment with the priorities he has for you. Jesus is worth far more than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He's worth our entire lives. Years ago, a friend of mine was asked, why do you believe in Jesus when there's so many other ways to believe? And why would you think that Jesus is the way? And I'll never forget his response. He said, because no one else is coming for us. See, only Jesus came for us to give us life, to guide us through the ups and downs. And finally, what we can learn from the Magi is that we can make room for others. Who in your life do you need to make room for? Maybe in the midst of the busyness and the distractions, you're missing the person in your small group that has no plans for Christmas. The person at work who would love a chance to play games at a game night with friends. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood that you can invite to come this Sunday, Christmas Eve, and then share brunch after. Or, or go to brunch before for the first time ever. We have a one o'clock, 15, 1.15 service. Or maybe if you're out of town this Sunday night, we're rebroadcasting our Christmas Eve service at six o'clock, maybe inviting your extended family to watch. Maybe some of those in your family are be more open than you realize. See, too often there are people in our life that have hurt us that we've given up on, and God is inviting us to make friends of enemies, to learn to forgive even when people don't ask for forgiveness. John 1 tells us this. 
Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, the creator of the universe, born, laid in a manger, here for us, offering us a chance to be reborn, alive spiritually, to experience the fullness of life. The Magi searched for Jesus, and they found him. For them, they found that journey to be worth the effort. They discovered that they were welcomed into God's story. That God makes room for others, and so should we. And they brought their best out of gratitude for all that God has done for us. I wonder, what is God wanting you to do today? In this Christmas season, how is he leading you to lean into your faith? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. Whatever thoughts may have come to mind, whether it's a verse that was read, a song lyric sung, something that was said, God, whatever it is that's resonating in our hearts, would you just help us to respond? Whether it's to care for someone that we work with, whether it's to reach out and try to mend some brokenness in our families, whether it's to give above and beyond what we've ever even considered, or whether it's to just make more time with you, prioritizing, growing with you, whatever it is you placed on our hearts, even if it's to begin this relationship in this Christmas season, what a perfect time to say to you, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Lead me, guide me to become who you've created me to be. Whatever it is you've placed on our heart, God, give us the courage to follow through pray that this week, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, this entire season, we would experience more of your peace and presence and bring that everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.